Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park All right, Stephen. Thanks for being here, man. Um, yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, you know, like a little bit I read about you. You seem to have a some an interesting story to, that I kind of wanted to dive in on. And you know, what little I know about you, and just so we get the listeners a little bit of a background going on, that you started out trying to do a career in music, correct? And then, yes, yeah. Then you spent, um, or you went on a twenty-one year adventure in India. Exactly. Yeah. I found out really quickly that the aspiring rock stars don't make any money. And, <laughs> and so I had to get a job, a J-O-B to pay my bills. I was in New York City. This is in the early 90s. And, um, and well, you know, it was, I was walking down the street one day and I looked up and I saw a sign that said wanted English teachers. And so I figured, uh, I know English. How hard could that be, right? Sure. And so I thought, let me try, let me go for it. And I, I did. And I took this job. And within the first, it was teaching English to speakers of other languages. And within the first like a 30 minutes or hour or so, it was like, oh my God, I know how to do this. This is what I was meant to do. Right. It, and I had I was 22 at the time. And it was this this epiphany because I had these other aspirations and all these ideas in my head that, okay, I'm gonna go into music, I'm gonna be on the road, and I'm gonna be doing this and that. And then suddenly it was just like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, holy cow, this, this is what you're meant for. So yeah, that was like um, a big inspiration. And then from there, I was invited to go after continuing to teach for about a year, I was invited to go to India to open a school. Nice. And so that's what got me to India. Yeah. So before, you know, you said you were 22. So before all that, you just had aspirations of being a rock star. You had no idea oh, yeah. teaching or. Oh Yeah. That was so clear all the plans if you told me anything else at that time like oh you're gonna have a career in whatever i would have been like just get out of town forget about it. <laughs> not happen not happening i was so convinced i was so sure sure and and that calling was just like you know when you when you hear the voice from the sky you know you're not a rock star you're a teacher um well that really impacted me i have to say and I remember saying at the end of the class, I remember saying to myself, like I, all the students, maybe there were about 15 kids in the class and each one left the class and they were so happy and smiling and laughing. And I waved goodbye to them. And I said to myself, I could do this for the rest of my life. And voila, here I am. I'm now 55 and I've been doing it ever since then and continue to do so. And 
I still play music, by the way. I've got my my keyboard right here on my my desk in front of me. I have a little keyboard and I have one over there also. So every day I'm doing something musical. But the beauty of it is that I don't have to have the pressure of that to make my living. And I get to do it every single day. So I don't feel like I've lost anything. You know, even the only thing is I might not be on the road and playing out there and sure. so on and so forth. But the joy that I get from educating and teaching absolutely satisfies me. Yeah. If, if that's all, if that's as good as it gets, if that, if this is what I get to do every day, then um, I, I would die a really happy person. Yeah. That's so cool that you found that at, you know, 22 years old when it struck you like, Hey, this is what I think it's what you said. 22, mm-hmm. right? What else is what yeah, I was doing the rest of my life. And yeah, I feel like so many people, I mean, for example, I was at a cookout not last week and you know, I'm 36 years old and I have a couple of people I hang out with that are, you know, a little older than me Then you know, they're always making a joke like, well, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. And mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, part of me was like, man, I always just thought that was just me, like still at this age, just still trying to figure out, you know, what my passion was or what do I want to do or where do I see myself in five or 10 years, you know, but it's more, a lot of people, I don't know if they, I don't want to say they struggle with that, but they still, I guess, look for that. And it's so cool. Absolutely. You found that early on. Yeah, you'd be surprised. I do a lot of workshops. I've done a lot of workshops over the years. And I would say the, and, and many of the workshops are centered around finding out who you are and then figuring out what would be the best way for you to apply your talents, your natural abilities to your work, your professional life, and, and otherwise. I would say the average, age, the average age of an attendee of my workshops is about 45 to really? 48 yeah so these are people who've gone through most of their life and it's usually after like most of their responsibilities are finished kids are either out of the house or reaching college and suddenly they realize that hey wait a minute this is david byrne from the talking heads had a um a great song called once in a lifetime and, and it's sort of a, about like a midlife crisis or realization like Hey, wait! This is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. Those are two of the of the lines that are in there. Um, so there's something there's something to be said for um, people spending so, so much of the early part of their life with education and aspirations, and then you find out more than halfway through your life that you this is not what you really wanted or what you were meant to do, and it's pretty tragic. It's pretty tragic because at that point in your life, you don't really have, in most cases, the uh, the tools or the wherewithal to be able to make those kind of change or to make significant changes to be able to do something that you really love. Sometimes it can come in as a hobby or as a part-time gig. So what, what makes me at least, um, what gives me comfort is the fact that it doesn't have to be accidental. Like in my case, I consider myself really fortunate that I happened to have looked up when I was walking down a street in New York and I saw a sign that said wanted English teachers. Now, had I looked up to the other side and it said something like, you know, wanted travel agents, I don't know. I don't know if my life would have taken the same direction. I imagine I would have found education anyway. But I don't know, maybe it would have taken me 10 years or 15 years or 20, much longer to get there. And what I've discovered over the years is that it doesn't have to be an accidental discovery. You can be intentional to figure out what your innate abilities are 
and how they can line up with what it is that you do. That it, you can, there's, there are ways of actually doing that. And that's not taught in the education system. I agree. That, yeah. Yeah, I agree that, um, you know, I've talked about it a couple of times before on here that, and so sorry, folks, if you're going to hear it again, but that, uh, you know, the education system, I don't want to say they're dream killers, but they're more of a, a realist, I guess. And that, you know, if you say you want to grow up and be a amazing rock star that they're like, mm, now you probably shouldn't look into that or whatever. And that, you know, you should actually just take the narrow path and go to college and then explore that and find out what you want to do. But then, like you were saying, you know, people in your workshops are roughly 45 years old and that people take that path. And then they find out, you know, 45 years old, you know, that could be roughly based on statistics over half my life, you know, and it's not, you, and you start reflecting on it. It's like, Ooh, that's not what I wanted to do at all. Yeah. And that, you know, the education system, you know, I don't want to say it's terrible, but yeah, you know, when kids or students or whatever you want to say that explore or want to say they have these big dreams of doing so, then why not let them, you know, be a free thinker and let them go after it, you know, don't immediately shut it down just because it's not, you know, the social norm of, or the straight line of success that some people would say, you know, go to college, get married, have kids, live out your days, then go drink, go retire, then drink margaritas on the beach. Yeah. Well, it's, it's important to keep in mind that the existing education system is an anachronism. It's a throwback to a time back in the early 20th century when there was a movement toward efficiency, industrialization, um, and education was more of like a weeding out process. Like so many people so many youth are going to go to college. Some are going to go into, um, you know, general labor and things like that. And so the education system was meant specifically to filter rather than to genuinely help people find out who they were and what it is that they, that they should do. That's a good point. And, and we, we were sort of stuck with that same educational paradigm. So it's like, we've not left that the the structures and so on we've tried we've tried um you know in, o- over the years as a society to improve that education system so there's there are definitely improvements that have been made but it's kind of like let's just say you have a house or a building and it loses its purpose for whatever reason and you want to reuse that house for something else later on like, for example, if you had a house and then you wanted to turn it into a restaurant or you had a house and you wanted to turn it into a, a, a hotel or something like that, well, you find that that old structure doesn't really suit the new need. And if you really want to have the structure that's going to lend itself to the, the, the ultimate purpose, you'd be better off making major changes or even wrecking it and then setting up something completely, setting up something completely new. So we're kind of stuck with that paradigm. But I do want to say this. It's not a hopeless cause. It's still possible. And it's important to remember that there are certain types of people who do well in the current education system, the way it's set up. Those who are strong with mathematical ability, like logical intelligence, I call these tigers, natural abilities. You'll hear me refer to to natural abilities abilities as tigers. Uh, People who have a strong logical tiger a strong linguistic tiger, a strong administrative tiger. 
those are people who do extraordinarily well in the education system because they're organized, they're good with language, they're good with math. And most of the classes that you would take through you know, through the years are based on those, the standardized tests, whether it's the SATs, et cetera. Yeah. If you're strong in those areas and you do well, then you get into the top universities. And so there's there's a narrow channel for people who are naturally inclined in those areas to succeed. But those children who are not strong in those areas, naturally, they fight so much harder and the returns are so much less. Their abilities might be stronger in creativity, creative tiger, or they might be strong in healing. Like, what about that? What about those friends of yours when you, when you grew up, the ones when you had a heartbreak, you would go to them to cry on their shoulder, yep. or they would be the sensitive ones who would be taking care of like animals, like stray animals or, you know, animals in shelters. And even if they were in their teens and they were doing that, they were so, they were off the spectrum. Nobody yeah. thought about them. There was no value given to them or appreciation or accolades or trophies or grant or whatever. Um, but yet the society needs healers, right? And yeah. not just people who were really good with math and science and top their classes and then wind up becoming doctors and have no feeling for their patients. They, they're just there because it's a way for them to demonstrate their, their excellence in academia, but they hate what it is that they do. I've known many doctors over the years who felt like they were in prison. They, they hated being doctors. And, and who've changed careers as as a result? Was that, that just that? Was that just because you think years. that that was a path that they were just led to, like their parents kind of pushed them to be a doctor? Exactly. Yeah, and that was not really what they wanted to do, but they just kind of did it. Precisely. Part. Yeah, and it's just society set it up that way. Like you if you become a doctor, it's prestigious. You'll make a lot of money. Every parent would say, "Oh my goodness, I would love for my child to be." So they got the praise from their parents, praise from their peers, and all of that sets off this chemical reaction in the brain of status. Sure. Right. That's serotonin going off in the brain when you get status and you feel like, okay, hey, yeah, everybody's like looking at me as though I'm I'm somebody. I'm somebody. I'm a somebody. And so there's a you get addicted to that. And so you, you don't want to let it go. But meanwhile, inside, there's that little voice saying, like, this is not who you really are. And you and you suppress it yeah. and you suppress it until the point where it's like a caged tiger there will be some other qualities inside of you. And those might be, um, you know, it could be a, um, as I said, like a visual and a creative tiger that you want to do something artistic and produce something of visual beauty. Or in my case, it could be a musical tiger that wants to get out and, and perform like that. Um, so there could be many other careers or many other directions that you could head that would actually feed your tigers. And I have a, I have a mantra, I say, Feed your tigers before they eat you. Mm. Good. Just because you're so, saying, yeah, it would come like, yeah, yeah, they would eat you up inside because you keep them caged. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's there's a a gentleman that I know in his forties who did this. I was, I mean, I'm using the example of of a doctor in medicine, um, but but there are many others. And he, he did just that. He went into medicine and he's so revered in his area. But if you see him, he's, he's like a basket case. He's completely falling apart. His life is, is a shambles. Wow. And so what's the, what's the benefit of having 
that Mercedes and, you know, two houses and all of the prestige and you're miserable. So for me, the most important thing is that you feed your tigers, you feed all of them. And it's true to say that it is possible for anybody to figure out what their tigers are and to figure out a way to get them all fed and to make a good living for yourself. And that's far more important than making a lot of money or having all of that prestige. I would agree just because, you know, you said it was like cultural narrative or that's what society brings to you that you have to have the big house with a family and dogs and kids and two cars and wearing a Rolex in order to be success. And that's what I was always kind of grown up to think that's what it was, but everyone has their own version of success. And then I've learned that, you know, well, am I healthy? Do I have friends? And, you know, exactly. when, I, when I go out to eat, can, you know, do I, am I worried about the bill? No. I mean, like, so that means a lot more to me than actually, you know, I don't even wear a watch, you know? And, but what I, what I should ask that, you know, you keep saying, you know, tigers, which you said is natural abilities. How did you come up with, mm. how did you come up with that? So the, one of the things that happened while I was in India, I had this, my school that was there and the, the idea of my school was that every child was going to know who they were. That would be the center of the curriculum, not passing exams or getting you know, scores on, on tests and things like that. Sure. But the, the central core of the curriculum was, who am I? And once the students could figure that out, then they would know where they, would, where they were going to go in life, whether they'd become a chef or whether they would become an artist or whether they'd become, they would become a doctor. It's not that I have anything against kids becoming doctors. In fact, one of the students who went through my approach wound up while I was in, while I was in India became the number one medical student in the country. Now, nice. if you can imagine a country of like one point, I don't know, 3 billion people, she was that she was the number one. I'm not going to say that it was only because of my method, but but it had an impact because we were able to work with her to enable her to see where her, where her tigers were, so to speak. And it was really it was very much pointed in that direction. Anyway, um, so when I was trying to figure out that question, how do you determine if what a child's natural abilities are, so you could guide them? I looked at different models. There are different psychological frameworks to look at ability. And there are so many characteristics of our, the brain is hugely complex. It's like the sure. most complex organ in the universe. And there are many ways to look at it, to, I say dissect it, but at least to describe it in different ways of, in terms of different abilities. So there's not any one model that will describe it perfectly. In the same way, like if you went to um, a hospital, there's not one instrument that you could measure things with, right? Like there's not one, uh, you know, you've got a, a x-ray machine and an EKG and an EEG and an MRI. And, right. uh, you know, there's so many different instruments that could let you look inside. You use different instruments based on what it is that you're trying to figure out. So in the same way, when we look at the brain and we look at behaviors, there are many different ways to describe it. So one of the ways that was appealing to me was Howard Gardner's model of multiple intelligencies, which is that there are, depending upon how you look at it, um, uh, Gardner came up with eight different ways, eight different ways to look at the, at your, not that there's one thing called intelligence, but there are many kind of intelligencies. So he, he said, it's not how smart you are, it's how you are smart. 
In other words, you could be smart with your, with your body, like in athletics. You could be smart with music. You could be smart with nature and animals. You could really connect with them. And you've seen that before. There's some people who like, you know, we've seen movies like the, the horse whisperer, right? You know, people sure. who've got this deep connection to the environment or uh, animals. Um, you know, Steve Irwin, the, the yep. late great Steve Irwin, um, crocodile. Uh, yep, crocodile guy. hunter. Right. So there's some people who have these, the, I call them tigers, right? These natural abilities in self-reflection or in people, right? There are some people who, you know, they might not have been, quote unquote, the brightest in the class, but they were the most social. Sure. And then, you know, what happens as soon as everybody graduates and, and companies are hiring, one of the first things they ask they ask for is we need somebody who's got great people skills and social skills and interpersonal skills and communication skills. And that's what we're, nobody ever taught, taught that really, but those are the people when they go to interviews, they're the ones who probably grab the majority of the jobs because they speak so well. Right. So I liked that framework that he set out because it spoke to me. It demonstrated that this is one way to look at qualities through intelligences. Right. And uh, logical, I mentioned before, linguistic, those are also two tigers that are part of this framework. So that was one thing that I liked and I utilized to help define and describe which one of my tigers is bigger. You've got all of them, but some are going to be more prodigious than others. That makes sense. And when you find all these tigers in people, is that kind of where, you know, are most people aware of these tigers or do you feel like they're not? aware of them and that's and this is where you explore with them to like hey you know you have the creative tiger or or the people just kind of go along the planet or the you know their life and they want to be creative and it's coming out of them but they just don't know how to get it out of them the creativity part of it if that's what we're using for example does that kind of make sense what i'm saying oh absolutely well there are two parts to to what you're what you're addressing the first is are people aware of them? And the answer is some are and some aren't and then to different degrees. And you can see this also in things like language. To what degree are people who use language aware of grammar? Mm. Now, some people are highly aware of grammar. They've studied it. They really understand the nuances of it. Other people are not, not so much. And then some people kind of grab it and do it and, you know, get along with it naturally. Um, so if you do know the rules of grammar, you have more control over the language. And the same would be true for music. To what degree does a musician know music theory? And you'll find many musicians who say, hey, listen, I can't read music and I don't know about it. I play by ear. So they have a natural ability. But there's one thing that's for sure. The more that you know about theory, the more control you can have and the greater freedom you have to express yourself. Okay. So, so in the same way, with respect to your tigers, People, you know yourself, you know where you're, how you feel about things. It's kind of like if you play music, you have a feeling kind of like for the music, even if you don't know what it means or what you're doing. But the more you know about them specifically, the more control it gives you to be able to apply them effectively to make decisions for your future. You can anticipate changes and things that are going to happen and you can, you can be more free and intentional and, and successful, I would say, in applying yourself. You'll have, you'll understand what's going on. And I'll give you an example to, to demonstrate. Let's just say, now there were some uh, intelligencies that we looked at Gardner's model. I have another model, the second one, with some of the other qualities we, 
you were you were just mentioning a creative tiger that's a separate a separate set of qualities okay. but i call them i call them all tigers so let's just say that you have a really strong a really big creative tiger and this tiger needs to eat it needs to do creative things and you know that right and you know sure. that so what happens is that you either look for a career where you can express your creativity or if the job you have is not one that lends itself to creativity or doesn't provide that tiger the opportunity to eat, then what you do is you look for alternative routes to feed the tiger. You think that, okay, I can't do my creative work in my day-to-day job, but I can do a gig on the side. Maybe I do some freelance work where I do creative work and it could be creative connected to visual things like visual graphics or art, or I do something, make some things and sell them on Etsy. Or maybe you do some creative things related to creative writing. You could do some, you could be writing a book or um, you could do a script or whatever it might be. So you find that outlet and that could be a gig or it could also be like a hobby or leisure activity, something you just do for fun to feed the tiger just to keep it. And that's how music is for me. I don't make any money doing it. Right. But I know that I have to feed that. And where this comes into play, like why this is so important is that I recognize my tells when my tiger is getting hungry and I'm getting frustrated. Like when I Yeah. When I suddenly see myself like I'm doing some sort of work and there's something itching inside of me, I'm like, there's something like eating away at me. Like, as I said, if you don't eat, feed your tigers, they eat you. There's something eating away. I can figure it out really quickly that I have to do something musical. Stop your work and play music for 20 minutes right now. Just stop it and play some music. And suddenly it's like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I playing this? And I get into it. And within a couple of minutes, I'm transformed. I'm in a different world. And all my, my neurons are firing in my head and I'm getting a buzz. It's like I just took a double espresso shot or, you know, I, I'm, I'm so on fire and I have my energy back. And then I can stop and I can get back to work and I'm buzzing again. I, I fed it. I took care of it. And it's kind of like my, I see this with my wife and my daughter. My, my daughter's two years old, right? Both of them have one thing in common, which is in, in terms of um, anger and being hungry physically, right? I know that my wife has a really strong appetite and she doesn't eat like at particular times. She starts to get angry, right? Uh-huh. And I see it also with my daughter. When my daughter starts getting really cranky and she's crying for like no reason, it's like, oh, she's hungry. And then I give her a bottle or give her something to eat. And she's like back to her normal self again. So it's the same thing. Your tigers need to eat. And so coming back to the question before, if you can identify them and you know what they are, it gives you the advantage of being able to be intentional to take care and to feed them so you don't get constantly disrupted. And where this, where this impacts you is... If, you're, if you don't realize that, then you get these bouts of frustration. And if you don't feed, and there's, I, I identify 19 tigers. If you don't take care of them, it comes out sideways. Like you'll start getting angry or you'll do something like try to suppress the hunger of the tigers. And you could do that. You could do that by having a second or third cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Or by eating a you know 
something really sweet, a couple bars of chocolate. I don't know, whatever. Like when you're in your bout of frustration, you might overeat, you might smoke, you you might stimulate, right? You could do something with diversion. So the next thing you know, like you look up and you realize that you've been watching like really silly cat videos for the last hour <laughs> on TikTok or, you know, something weird on, on YouTube. Yep. Like, oh my God, where was I for the last hour? Yeah. You've, you've just found an alternative way to tranquilize those tigers or go shopping. I call that retail therapy. You go, yeah. you're, you're on Amazon, you're buying stuff that you absolutely don't need. I, some person that I know who he's got this thing for knives. When he's frustrated, he goes and he buys another knife that he doesn't need. And, and it impacts him financially. Yeah. And yeah, so a lot of people all of these don't realize how much that does impact you. Oh, sorry. Yeah. A lot of people probably don't realize how much that does impact somebody. You know, like as far as you, if you go shopping, if you go buy knives when you get frustrated, if you go smoke, you're just leading yourself down to a negative behavioral loop and causing more exactly. issues for yourself. Exactly. I view it, if you think about it, as like a um, sort of like, a, like a, a curve that it's like a hump, you know, so like at the beginning, as you eat one bar of chocolate, it goes up the second bar, you know, uh, when it gets to like the third one, it starts to go down again. Or you smoke one cigarette, two cigarettes, it's going up, it's going up three, four, five, you know, then it starts to go down. You start to feel really, really gross about yourself. And the same is for any other thing. You buy one knife, two knife, or one pair of shoes, two pairs of shoes. By the time you're buying six pairs of shoes, that graph starts going down. So here, what I want to say is that these methods of stimulating yourself are not sustainable. Correct. None of them. And most people that I've seen, they live their lives going from one false method of stimulation to the next. They go from a coffee to something sugary to some sort of diversion. To some, and their work is sort of like going on in the background. Like they, they kind of do the minimum that they have to do in order to keep like, you know, stimulating themselves side by side to get through the day or the week or, or the weekend. Yeah. They're just kind of looking for the next best thing to keep them, keep them going. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. like one, one cup of coffee. Like, Oh, I have another one. Oh, I have another one. Yeah. Or they go, oh, no, with coffee ain't doing it anymore. You find, like you said, you know, exactly. Smoke. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not against coffee. I drink coffee. I'm not I against chocolate. I, I, I eat chocolate, but I don't use it as a crutch to, to get me through the entire day. Exactly. My work has to stimulate me because work for me and I guess for most people is, you know, like an eight hour affair or it could be a little bit more, a little bit less, but it's a large chunk of my day. So, and the interesting thing I was mentioning before is what's going on in the brain at this time. When I do something that I get pleasure from, there's a, there's the, the risk reward center of our brains. When you see an opportunity and you say, Hmm, let me try doing that. And you do it and you succeed at it. You get a feeling of happiness or that's a release of dopamine in the brain. Sure. And then what happens is as you keep doing that, you, you look forward to doing it the next time. And then there's that positive feedback loop that, that virtuous cycle, the more you do it, the more pleasure you get, you set up bigger challenges for yourself and you can, because you've got a big tire there. So it's easy for you to do that. And you get, you get returns on your investment and it keeps going like that. And so the same chemicals are released in your brain when you eat chocolate or you eat sugar or you smoke or et cetera. Right. So what's going on is that 
when we say the tiger's not eating and it's getting frustrated, what it means is that there's a there's a blockage of energy or chemically speaking, there's a inhibition of re the release of dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, what are called your happy chemicals. Um, so Bruning has a book out called, uh, I think it's called Your Happy Chemicals, which which speaks about this. So you you can, I'm forgetting her first name, but her last name is Bruning. Um, you can get the same exact hit as you would from cigarettes or from drugs or from alcohol or from, you know, whatever, from doing work that, that you really love and that stimulate. And you've, you've experienced this before. Everybody's experienced that before when they've been in a flow state, when you've done something that you're really good at and that you're enjoying, whether it's sports or whether it's art or. Yeah. Just any of it, man. I mean, yeah, you, you can feel, I mean, what is, Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced. From the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support, the new Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL deal the, you know when you're running it's kind of like the runner's high i've never really experienced that but a lot of people have told me they have and so ooh, i kind of want to try that but yeah you you can exactly what you said you get into that certain state like if you're playing music and you just feel everything's coming together and it's like that one mm -hmm. moment and you just you know you're in the zone and you don't even know why in it's the happening. zone yeah, in the you, groove yeah you don't even know why it's happening or what's what's changed or what's different but you just know it's something magical happening yeah that's a pinnacle. That that part is a peak when you really get into what's called a flow state. That's that's something which is extraordinary. And I would say this that it's 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 an ideal. It's hard to be in flow state where you're you're always at that level. Um, you know, 
if, if you were talking sexually speaking, that would be like an orgasmic state, right? So you can't be in that state for, for like hours and hours on, on uh, at a time. But there, there is also what I might say more like the romantic state or the love. You can be in love. And that's very much true about your, your tigers and your work when they are aligned with what you're doing. So you are in almost like that state of, of love and being in a state of love is not like, it's not like intense romance every, every single moment, but you've got this general feeling of everything's okay. And I feel good about my relationship and you have, although you can have challenges and, and look, we've all been, I'm going to guess that most people have had an experience of love and some kind of a relationship, sure. you are going to have times where it gets a little bit frustrating or it gets difficult. But if it's the right relationship and it's it's true love and it's it's deep love, you'll you weather those challenges and you spend more time in the good parts of the relationship. And so work becomes like that, that you're in a state of love with what it is that you do and you wind up getting to those higher states or those more intense states of deep love or deep romance um, or deep intimacy. Um, and that's what goes on when your tigers are aligned with what it is that you do. And that's why when you see people who are in love, why most of the time they're pretty jolly, you know, they, they've got a glow on their face. And the same is so if you see people whose tigers are aligned with their work, they tend to be pretty happy people most of the time. And, and it's not the majority of people, but it could be. Oh, I agree. I mean, you know, a lot of people, like we were kind of talking about earlier, they found their way into a certain life path, life experience, whatever you want to call it. And they kept going down this road, not asking questions. And all of a sudden, five, 10 years went by. Then all of a sudden they don't know what happened, you know, and they never found their true passion. And then, but you, when you find people, you know, for example, who are wanted to grow up and be a, an actor or comedian or, or famous basketball player, whatever you want to say. But those type of, I mean, everyone's got problems, but those type of people are doing what they actually love to do. You know? Right. And, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people just because of bad situations, life didn't go their way, bad luck. I don't know whatever you want to say, but they never really, even with the work or whatever you, like you said, when the challenges came around, they pushed it aside and they didn't decide to keep pursuing it. They just, took the easy road home or easy road. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And if you see people like the ones that you've mentioned, whether they're some of the more um, visible professionals, people who are in the limelight in one way or another, whether they're professional, they're an actor or a professional sports person, they love what they do as well. And we don't see them in their off hours when they're up at four in the morning going out to practice and to memorize all of, all of their lines and the, uh. the effort that they make. And so what happens is that sometimes people look at such, at, at such professionals and they say, I want that because that person's famous, that person's rich. Um, and they are aspiring not to what the person is doing, but to the outcome or the success factors that that person is, is demonstrating, that's what they want. Because when you give them the opportunity to, to do that type of work, when it comes to the work and they've got to do all of the practice, suddenly it's not so appealing to them. And that's largely because in most cases, 
their tigers are not aligned with that kind of work. So when they do that work, they're not getting the pleasure while they're doing it. And so when they're not getting pleasure while they're doing it, dopamine is not getting released. So they either avoid it or they try to mask it. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to do something else. And so they want something, but they don't have the, the actual capacity or the innate abilities to be able to do that. Well, you're the CEO of what is it, MNA, whatever? Yeah. So, yeah. so Multiple Natures International is okay. a, a yeah. company that I founded to yeah. to help people to get aligned with them, to know their tigers and to get them aligned with what but they yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, going along with what you said, that there was probably a lot of work actually starting that, you know, Multiple Natures. I mean, without, I mean, you yeah. could easily just sat around and just said, oh, well, I hope it happens one day, just like you were saying, but it's not going to happen without you doing some type of work, right? And sometimes. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, all, all the hours you're putting in, even like, I would assume like based on what you said, you probably were getting up at, you know, four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning or and working late just to take care of certain situations in order to get this project, this passion, this thing that you wanted to do yeah. on the ground. I mean, Chris, let's come back to love, right? When, when you're really in love with somebody, like deeply in love with them, you're thinking about them all the time. Yeah. Right. You think you, you wake up and you're thinking about them and you go to sleep thinking about us and maybe I dream about them. <laughs> you're, you're, you're traveling, whatever it is, you're always thinking about them. And for me, it's, it's very much the same way. Like I'm constantly thinking about how I can help people to get more aligned. And sometimes I come up with new ways of doing that. Like I come up with, uh, I make software that helps us to figure out people's abilities. And I start thinking about the interface and I start thinking, what about that button over there? And it's, it's not in the best place. And, and so my brain is, is constantly scanning for ways to do that. And then I go in and I get it fixed and I try it out and it's made a, an improvement. And so, yeah, if there's, if there's been any growth or success, there's hard work behind it, but and you could even say so the same thing that's in a relationship. Like people say, if you want a successful relationship, you have to work at it. Sure. But you don't mind working hard at something that you love because you get results when you put in effort and the results are worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's what they say. If, you know, if you find something you truly love in life, you don't really work a day in your life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. There's, there's a wonderful quote from uh, the Tao Te Ching where... Lao Tzu's, there, there are these, what are called koans, K-O-A-N, and a koan are these statements that are somehow, um, there, there's like a, a contradiction within the, the statement. And it says, the masters get the job done without lifting a finger. Hmm, interesting. So it's like, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. Like, you get the work done, but you don't do anything. So it's like, well, so the, if you go a little bit deeper behind that, what it means is that if you are into something and you become good at it and you love it, you've got that natural propensity for it. So when you do that work, it's somewhat effortless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And therefore, like, for example, if my, my partner, my business partner says to me, you know, I need um, a letter crafted that does something like this. So that's so that's really easy for me to do things like I'll knock a letter off like that in a couple of minutes. And if he were to do it, it would take him like two hours and he'd be going back and forth and, and, and it wouldn't be great. Sure. 
at the same time, his his logical tiger is like incredibly powerful. So if he's got to come up with like a subscription model or something like that with how much something costs and if you go for the bronze category or the silver category, what it would be and what you would get. So he would knock that off in a really short period of time. Period of time. That would be effortless for him. So that's that's really what's important. If somebody wanted all right. So speaking of that, if he couldn't do the letter, like you were saying, would you want somebody, like you were saying, to kind of feed that tiger or to help it grow, get be- get better at it, get better at that skill, get better at that ability? So it's something like this that um, in in a day's in a day of work, there are different tasks that anybody has to do. Sure. And some things will be with communication. Some might be with with organizing files. It might be with um, with um, creating budgets or so depending upon what work you could be editing if you're doing a podcast depending upon what your job is you're going to have different tasks and not every task is going to align perfectly with your tigers so there you have to make the choice of whether you're going to push through it so that's that's the work right the work is really those aspects of your those aspects of your job that don't necessarily align with who you are. But, and you need to make a choice. Either you can push through them or you could delegate them to somebody else, or you could, um, you could find other ways of doing it. Like you find times of the day where you've got more energy, right? Don't do it fri- at the at the end of the day on Friday, maybe do it first thing in the morning, like on a Wednesday when you've got some energy or something like that. So there, there are tech, you could use technology to help you. So there are tools that might be able to assist you in automating things. There are many ways to deal with it, but the point is that how do you know what maybe what, I'm not sure exactly what your question is, if it's something like this, but like, what do you do when there's certain work that appeals to you or when it doesn't appeal to you? And it, the first thing is to know what aligns with you and what doesn't and whether or not it's worth it for you just to put up with it or whether you should be delegating it. Oh, yeah, I guess, yeah, that was kind of what I was trying to get that, you know, once you're aware that you're not good at something and it's almost a weakness that it's like, oh, I need to probably get better at this in some fashion, even though that Stephen can do it faster than I can, but I would still... You know, what if Stephen wasn't around one day and I needed to get this yeah. done? Yeah, I guess that's kind of what I was asking that oh, I should actually sit down and try to make myself learn this to some extent. What you're saying is right. And not everybody gets it that way. I should be able to do it to a certain extent. There are some people who have this thing that's like, I'm going to turn this weakness into a strength. And and that's that's like one of the biggest tragedies because... There's a lot of ego involved there. If Frank can do it, I can do it. You know, sure. we grew up together. He's not any better off, better than I am. Like, I'm going to show him that I could be. A... So that's where most people get themselves into a, a, a deep ton of doo-doo because they set themselves up for failure. Their, your natural abilities aren't aligned with that kind of work. And so the, the effort and reward does not come back to you. You work really hard and you get a little bit of effort, a little bit of progress. You work really hard, big effort, and you get a little bit of progress. And that's really not going to change over time. You might get a little bit better at it, but it's never going to be like the person who's naturally inclined. Because if that person puts in a little effort, they get back a huge return. It's just so easy for them. So being good enough 
in those situations is the best way to treat it as opposed to I'm going to become the best blah, 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 when that's not your natural ability. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and sometimes I wonder that again, going on a cultural narrative or society that, you know, in college, you know, we were taught doing mock interviews, we were given the, uh, the question, how do you turn a weakness into a strength? So it was always kind of like, Oh, I got to say something very, I don't want to say egotistical, but kind of similar to what you were saying. It's like, oh, you know, like a regular textbook, I don't know, answer. And then that's what was rehearsed, but it was never anything that I actually truly meant. And that is yeah. Yeah, almost kind of a lot at times, right? I, I have, I actually have trouble with the premise and I'll explain why. This is a really interesting example. Okay. I, if you take a look at chess pieces and if you were to say like, which are the stronger pieces or which are the weaker pieces, right? You might say, oh, well, you know, the, the queen is the strongest piece and the pawn is the weakest piece. Right. Well, you know, a pawn can be absolutely devastating. If you place correctly, and right? If, yeah, um, um, it depends how you use them. And a queen could be trapped and totally useless. <laughs> so it's not the piece itself in my mind, that's strong or weak, it's the situation. And now I'm going to talk about it in terms of like a, a career or a profession. Yep. There's, there's an example that I love to give, which is if you think about somebody who's like a, um, who works at the airport and they do the security bag check when it goes through the x-ray machine, right? And so they're there and they're watching all these bags passing through. And there's something I call protective tiger, and also a, a visual tiger. So if the protective is really strong, that they have this tendency to prevent harm, loss, like mistakes. So they're going to be there at that bag and they're going to be loving what they do. They're, they're protecting, right? Yeah. And the other is this visual tiger that their eyes are scanning, that they have really powerful, a powerful capacity to, to spot things visually. So those two tigers together team up and become like this dynamic duo. At the same time, if this person has a really powerful entertaining tiger that they love to joke around and make people laugh, and their interpersonal tiger is also a big, is, is a big one, that they love people and they love to make people laugh and joke around. So those big tigers of entertaining and interpersonal will be an absolute liability for this person. They will be, quote unquote, a weakness in this situation. At the same time, if you were to take those two qualities, entertaining and interpersonal, and you had someone who was a marketing, uh, somebody who does marketing or sales, or who does podcast interviewing or hosting, right, yeah. or acting, it would be an asset. So, and I'll give a, the opposite example. If you, if, if you have somebody who does like database maintenance, they have to maintain like a, a very elaborate database for a company where they're like, you know, thousands or millions of records. If that person has a small interpersonal tiger, they don't love to interact much with people. Well, guess what? It's an asset. It's not a liability. It's not like, oh, I'm so introverted and, and I hate it. And it's, you know, it's, it's a weakness. I have to change my, no, in this situation, guess what? It's a strength because you're not tempted to go out and talk to everybody and you're really happy being by yourself. Huh. So it's a matter of just figuring it out. And like you said, it's kind of placing it in certain positions and getting the most out of it. Yeah. You have to know yeah. which, which, whatever pieces you have in most cases, there's a game you can play successfully. If you want to say play to win, or you can play a successful game in life with whatever pieces you have. It's just playing to playing to your particular 
set of tigers or your set of pieces, so to speak. I like your examples that you've been using this podcast and like kind of almost making it more simplified. And, you know, it really helps me understand more things, especially, you know, in certain, I guess, the way I explain things, I've always feel like I'm pretty vague or, um, but when you put it into like, you know, using it as a chess piece, like, oh, that makes sense. You know, but mm. do you, do you kind of, what am I trying to ask here? Do you, you feel yourself like, you know, by yourself thinking a lot and, you know, I guess, yeah, thinking a lot, putting your thoughts down on paper and explaining how you wanted to get it portrayed out to your clients and things like that. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Well, this is, this is a tiger in action. That's my, um, educative tiger. There's okay. one tiger, which is an educative tiger. I told like from the beginning when I told you, like I discovered teaching. Sure. So it's no mistake. I had this educative tiger that was, I didn't even know it existed. It was there the whole time. And just suddenly it's like, oh my goodness. And one of the qualities of a strong educative tiger is to be able to understand something and help somebody understand that concept. Yeah. Yeah. And to and part of that is coming up with good examples and analogies. Mm-hmm. So something that you just mentioned now, and people have told me um, over over time that I have a, a a way of being able to take complex things and putting them into simple e- simple ways that are e- easy and fun to. There's also my creative tiger in, in there as well. <laughs> e- easy, memorable ways. So you know, I talk about tigers. And there's, there are other analogies that I use. And so, okay, that's what comes from an educa- a big educative tiger. Yeah. Do I write them down? Yeah, of course. I, I write them down. I talk about them. I have videos on them. Put some of the stuff in, in my podcast about them. My podcast is called, it's called Feed Your Tigers. So. Yeah, that's uh, this one thing that I was, you know, as we were talking, I was like, yeah, you know, uh, people like simplified stuff. And in my perspective and that, you know, they start reading a book or listen to somebody say it in a completely scientific way and not in layman's terms, and they immediately get turned off by it, and they're instantly just shut down by it. Well, I don't want to learn this anymore. So, yeah, when you can explain things like the way you're explaining to them, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, now I can do this. And get, you set them up for success to a certain point. It's interesting because we are we are creatures of symbols, right? If you take a look... And, you know, in our uh, anthropology, if you take a look at us historically, we we codify things. We take ideas and turn them into symbols to represent what it is that, that we mean, whether they're religious symbols or whether they are mathematical symbols or whether they are, you know, any, any other type of symbols. Um, and we're also, we are also creatures of stories and storytelling. Uh-huh. And, and characters and we are creatures of meaning so we find ways to to take ideas and to convert them into symbols or characters and to and to make make meaning out of them and to put them into stories and so for example when i when i did that with the idea of the tigers i saw how powerful that was for people like instantly as soon as when I talk to people and before I had the tigers, it's interesting before I had the, the, the symbol of the tigers, I used to talk about these in terms of multiple intelligences and multiple natures, which is the, uh, the model that I created. And as you were rightly saying, some people sometimes turn off around it because it's a little bit technical and it's a little jargony. So unless you're really interested in that kind of stuff, you might 
turn off. You might tune out. But the minute I, I speak to somebody and they say, okay, what is it that you do? I say, I help people identify their tigers and to feed them. And they're like, what? And I even sometimes ask, do you know what I mean by that? And you'd be surprised just by saying feed your tigers before they eat you. Most people will be able to come close to explaining what that means in a single line. Yep. And so, so I think it's very important to be able to do that. If you want to communicate things to other people, that's where you get great book titles. Um, you know, people who've got great book titles or ideas that they could put into a, an analogy like that. That's why they stick just because it creates meaning and these symbols um, pack a lot of meaning in inside of them. And then it becomes fun to unpack them. Yeah. This might be a stupid question, but do you think that, or do you know that can people fear their tigers or abilities? I would say people would fear them only if they didn't really understand them so, or understand what they could do with them or how, how they could, how they could use them effectively. Yeah. Cause I guess what I'm getting at is that I've noticed that some people well, I've not, I've read and seen that um, people are kind of fear, scared of success, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you an area where I think that it happens. It's, it's rare. I don't think most people face this, but it does happen. There are some people who have tigers that are so powerful, that are so massive um, that whatever it is that they, that they do, it succeeds. So if it's a musical tiger, you've seen musicians who just, they're, they're like, I don't know, Jimi Hendrix, let's just take somebody. Sure. It's, it's like, if you put a guitar in their hands, even though they didn't even learn theory or something like that, they just go to the absolute limit and everything they do, people are fawning. People are like, oh my God, it's the greatest thing. You know, and to them, it's just like, what did I do? I just like, you know, touched the guitar string and I like wiggled my finger like that and people are freaking out. And the challenge here is, is um, there's less of an incentive to work. This, this is an interesting thing. There's less of, a, of an incentive to work hard because just by doing almost, almost nothing, they're getting back um, accolades. They're getting a huge amount of praise. And so what, what can happen to people like that, whether they're actors or whether they're musicians or whether they are, it could be anything. Um, what happens is that, they are they're, they don't necessarily become disciplined and set up their own challenges because they would have to set up challenges because every most of us have to deal with challenges that the world sets out for us. But when we're in a situation where we're so so qualified at something that the world is saying everything you're doing is amazing, so then it's only that person, practically speaking, who could set up something for themselves, which is so challenging, that they would be able to keep themselves on that continued path of, of growth. And that's why I believe there are many people who uh, burn out mm. or who either commit suicide or who they just overindulge right in drugs or something like that because they don't know how to discipline their massive tigers so that in those cases i guess you could say some people could even be fearful of of their of their abilities there was one i i did experience this i i met um the wife of of a very famous um 
is it rock musician who died of an overdose and she said something of of the 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 same about him that he couldn't handle the power that came along with his talent it was just too much for him i don't know if that he was in that case he was afraid of his talent as much as that he couldn't manage it he couldn't handle it just afraid you're just gonna handle the Maybe the publicity and all the fame. Yeah, the fame and people just yeah. like contacting him and saying, oh, you're the greatest. And he's just like, I'm just me, man. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if our brain, I guess, yeah, if our brains were evolved to handle that type of fame. Because, you know, we were talking about, you know, storytelling. I mean, sometimes I wonder where the digital age of storytelling has kind of gone away. But now that podcasts have emerged and become one of the most popular things that you know people are able to come on here and tell stories and talk about anything they want to but yeah just i wonder that you know with the information that we get now as far as cell phones netflix news podcasts that if our brains are just not wired to handle these types of information or this types of to be seen 24 7 you know i mean without obviously there is good things about it but you know without you know with this technology you and i were able to have this conversation today but people just yes, not all people were able to be able to handle it, I guess, in a certain way. Yeah, you know, I I do think overexposure puts us in really weird situations um, of, of having to either perform or having to make really trivial things seem um, more meaningful and intense than they actually than they actually are. But yeah, yeah. I mean, just depending on how you word it, but depending how, you know, people perceive it, that things can be completely polarizations of what you really intended it to be. You know, for example, that musician and even, you know, podcasts or anything that the negativity that comes with it of being on the top of your game that, you know, majority might. 60%, 70% of people are probably going to enjoy the type of music you're making, but there's also going to be that 30% who don't like it and they don't mind expressing their opinion, especially when they're a keyboard warrior. And that I don't think a lot of people, when they, they get attracted to that negativity and they can't handle it. And, you know, no, because everyone wants to be, you know, liked and do well and, you know, make great things. But, you know, there's always a couple of people who are not going to enjoy your work and they're going to make sure that they tell you about it. And, weird ways and that it's almost like a trap that you get locked in that negativity and that's all you want to keep looking at because you're trying to and also i guess could be used as motivation but you're also trying to you know not look at that negativity but it feeds because people it's so attracting for for whatever reason yeah there's there's an interesting um concept that that touches on this and it's one of the things that i discovered while i was in india i had a very good friend while i was there who is a, is a scholar of Sanskrit, and he was able to translate many of these ancient documents, some of them like 5,000 years old, nice. and to help me understand what the ancients had to say about um, personal development and growth and the fulfillment of one's potential. And there's one concept that struck me, and it's this word called swasta. And the word swasta has two parts, swa and sta. So swa means self and sta, S-T-H-A, sta means to be situated in. So swa, sta means to be situated in oneself. Okay. And what's interesting is that the, the literal meaning of the word swasta 
is to be healthy. And what's interesting about that is what's implied here is that when you are situated in yourself, you are healthy. When you're grounded in yourself, you are healthy. Sure. It, health is not your body mass index. It's not your cholesterol level. It's not your, you know, your the sh- sugar level in your, in, and so on. Because when you're centered in yourself, that's when you, and what I mean by that is, you know, your tigers and you're feeding them. That's what I mean by when you're centered in yourself. So when you, when you are in that place or in that position, these kind of troubles or the chaos, or as you were mentioning, the, the criticism that might come from outside, it doesn't knock you off your balance because you're centered in yourself. You know what you are. You know where your qualities lie. And so that to me is a very powerful word and a meaning and like a North star for me that this is what's important in life is for me to know what my tigers are and to feed them and be centered here because there are always going to be, the haters are always going to be there. And there are always going to be situations in life that are going to come and um, bring chaos to you. Somebody's going to, to might die in your family or in your, your, your business world, whatever it might be. Um, there, There will be pandemics. There are going to be recessions. There are going to be, you know, shootings. There, so many things are going to be chaotic in life because that's how life is. But the greater the degree to which I am centered in myself, well, the the less I'm going to be knocked off kilter when when those issues do do come up. It's always going to hurt when somebody says something awful about you, sure. but it's not going to hurt as bad when you're when you're centered. Stephen, I think we should take it home on. On that right there. That's a good way to end okay. this. Yeah. All right. It's not as bad when you're centered. And I like that. So um, yeah. if people want to find you or you want mm-hmm. to plug away any of your stuff, feel free to do all that right now. Sure. Thanks. Um, if you want to find me, feedyourtigers.com. That's it. If you go there, you can find out about the 19 Tigers. Uh, I have an assessment online. If you would like to do it, you can find out what uh, which Tigers are the big ones and the medium and the small ones. And or even reports that'll tell you which career path or career direction you would uh, might be best for you. Um, and if there's anybody who's even interested in doing this kind of thing, I have a course where you could become a practitioner um, and uh, you could bring tigers to other people. So if you're healing and educative tigers are big ones, this might be a path that you could, uh, that you could take. So that's, that's pretty much, you'll find me there. Cool. Stephen, thanks for being here. Okay. Chris, it was fun and I enjoyed speaking with you. So thanks for having me. Great. Okay, everybody. Good night.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.